Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good to see everybody. It's good to be back. For those of you who don't know, we, uh, <laughs> I'm the guest pastor. No, just, uh, <laughs> we've been out for uh, this, uh, for, actually we were out for five Sundays and uh, we took a month off and just to rest and uh, relax and I really appreciate the church, all of you guys uh, stepping in, taking care of things and thanks to the staff, thanks to all the volunteers and to the pit crew, my pit crew that you saw, are, yeah, yeah. Uh, my pastors are preachers in training, and uh, yeah, they're in training. <laughs> Happy Fourth of July weekend as well. Um, we took some time off, just like I said, to rest. But one of the things that I also wanted, uh, and the, the uh, board allowed us to do, which was very kind, is to take some time away just to rest the head and uh, work the body. That's what I did during the month: was not think so much. I'm a obsessive thinker, and, uh, but the w- one way you can quit thinking so much is work your body hard, and if you work your body really hard and sweat like my dad taught me to, you end up resting your mind, and so for the whole month, I just, we worked around the house and uh, worked on my motorcycle day and night and, and just was able to sweat a lot and rest, and also I uh, took the, book, the books of First and Second Timothy and lived with them during this month, and uh, my plan was to get to know Timothy, my namesake in the Bible, and uh, to, you know, you, if you get a letter from someone that's written to you, if you read it again and again, you begin to see what they really think about you. I don't know if that's good or bad, depending, right? But uh, when you get the letters in the Bible, all, you know, in the New Testament, when we start reading uh, Paul's writings and Peter in the, in the back part of uh, the New Testament, we can get to know the churches that these letters were written to. And these two books, First and Second Timothy, uh, were written to a young preacher man, probably around 30 years old, a young preacher guy and a pastor in a church in a city called Ephesus. And Paul, who is the older pastor, is trying to equip Timothy to, to be able to do his work there in the, in the city of Ephesus and take care of the church. And he has quite a challenge. So I intended to read through this going, Lord, teach me, you know, show me who Timothy was and, you know, how I can, in, uh, in my older age, really give away what you've given me. But what happened was that God began to talk to me. This is just the way God does this. It's It's... You go into something to learn something for somebody else, and you find out God's really after you. He's really after you. He's not really after another person. We read the scripture for someone else, and preachers are all the time reading the Bible for you guys and for others. And And I found out when I was able to rest my soul uh, for a few weeks, I was able to get my mind off of things that God began to freshen his voice to me and I need that you know I need to be able to to hear his voice afresh and and anew and so thank you for allowing Karen and I to have the last four weeks 
uh, to spend with each other and uh, to walk in the evenings and to be able to be together and, and spend time. So we're going to be over there. I want to share a little bit of, of what uh, I feel like God was saying to me and saying to us over in First Timothy. Uh, if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn over there, First Timothy and uh, the fourth chapter, the 15th and the 16th verse is where we'll, we'll start at. You know, I think everybody needs a mentor in their life. Everybody needs someone that's just a few steps ahead of them in their life, especially when it comes to your spiritual walk. Uh, if you made a list, I bet you can name some people who were there for you when you first started your walk with Jesus. I hope you can. And uh, that's probably true even in your profession. I bet you had someone, uh, if you're a business person, someone came along, spent some time with you, taught you how to do your taxes, taught you how to keep up with the sales tax, taught you how to pay you know, the bills, how to do payroll, how to do all of that. Uh, probably there's someone in your life that uh, was there. And it's, it's a neat thing to look back over your life and notice that God did place people and mentors there. And Timothy had... Paul. And, uh, and so the words that we hear and we read this morning are the words from a man that loves this young man and is trying to equip him to do the work that he's been called to the best way he can do it. And uh, he has quite a challenge. Just read 1 Timothy 4, 15 through 16. Paul says to Timothy, be diligent in these matters. It literally means be covered up. Like, be immersed in them. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly. Be covered up to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Can we say that together? Watch your life and doctrine closely. That is how you behave and what you believe. Watch it closely. Persevere in them because if you do... If you do, Timothy, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you, that, uh, Lord, for this wonderful church. Thank you for this wonderful spiritual family. Um, I pray today that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. Uh, you give gifts of teaching and and preaching and callings and all. But Lord, you, through the Holy Spirit, you teach us. And so, Holy Teacher, we open our heart to you this morning. We ask for you to teach us the truth and teach us what will help us walk this way. Walk the way that you intend for us to walk. Lord, I do ask for your help. I ask for the gift of teaching this morning. I pray that you would breathe on your word and make it alive to us. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever felt like God was picking on you? Ever looked up at God and go, God, really, there's other people you can pick on. I mean, you don't have to dump it all on me. Yeah, when I read these letters to Timothy, as a, as a pastor for a long time now, too, and I, I just went through my journal and wrote every verse out and, and wrote kind of a sentence of what it says about Timothy, each thing that Paul said to him. And Paul is just loading up on this young man some huge responsibilities. I mean, he's saying to Timothy, I know you're young. I know that you're just beginning your journey of, of walking out your gift of what God's done in your life. But here, I want you to do this in the church in Ephesus. 
Ephesus. I want you to correct bad theology, okay? I want you to go to these people who are teaching bad theology, and I want you to confront them, Timothy. Don't be shy. I know you're a timid guy. I know you're, that's why I'm telling you, take a little wine every now and then. Your stomach gets upset, but just calm down because you've got a big work to do here. I want you to go confront the people who don't have good theology or trying to lead people astray. Do that. I want you to go to these people that are causing disunity in the church. As a matter of fact, let me give you some names. Paul calls them out. Paul is not shy. I mean, I think Timothy tended to be a little bit hesitant, a little bit timid, you know, and Paul was like, I love Paul. The story goes he was a short guy with a crooked nose and bow-legged. Now, we don't know that, but, but that, can you imagine that guy coming in, you know, looking at you, and all you 60, 65 years old, equivalent of six doctor degrees, walks into you and says, I want to talk to you. You know, it's like, okay, whatever. But now he's trying to get this young pastor, this timid pastor, to step into his responsibilities, and he says, don't let anybody disrupt the unity in the church at Ephesus. You're going to have to go to them, and here's their names. Um, imagine opening the Bible years later and saying, Hey, Hymenaeus, did you know you were in the Bible? And he goes, No, nah, get out of here. I'm in the Bible. He says, Where? And he goes, And Hymenaeus, I have turned over to the devil for discipline. What? You know? I mean, Paul, he's not shy. He calls him out, you know? And then he also has a list of people who are helping and are such a blessing to the ministry. He names them too. Paul is not beyond calling names out. And he's telling Timothy, look, be strong. Here's your challenge. But I can imagine this young man, 30 years old, looking at this, thinking, all these guys, I've got to deal with all of this. And he tells him to put some leadership in place. This is how to do it. You know, put some elders, some deacons, get some leadership in that church at Ephesus. Here's the people that you want to choose. And and then in both of these books, Paul preaches the gospel to Timothy. And I love that. He didn't have to preach the gospel to Timothy. Timothy knew the gospel. He had a mom and a grandmom that told him about God and told him about Jesus. He was raised in a good home. He heard scripture all the time. But yet Paul preaches the gospel to Timothy again because it has to be the core of every church, every fellowship, the good news of Christ. We can't lose that. We can't let anything rob us. And so Paul preaches in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. He tells Timothy, oh, the glorious gospel that saved me, the chief among sinners. And he just preaches it to Timothy to awaken that in his own life, in his own soul, to say you must preach the gospel. You have to tell the good news. And he says, here's how to live the Christian life. Watch your behavior and watch your language. Watch how you talk and watch how you live. Watch what you believe. Watch your doctrine and be covered up in taking care of that. And you're going to do okay, Timothy. Be diligent in these. And so I'm reading through this, you know, and I'm going, okay. Is that just a comment like watch your, you know, watch your life and doctrine? Is that just like, a caution, a cautionary uh, wording here to tell us to kind of be religious in the way we live. And I don't think that's at all what Paul was getting at, at all. As a matter of fact, as I looked on through the two books, I realized that this was such a plea from Paul's heart that he gave him some help in how to walk this life out, 
how to walk this way, the way Paul said, follow me. And so I want to point out three things. There's three metaphors Paul uses over in 2 Timothy in the second chapter. Three metaphors he uses to try to bring this to life uh, to Timothy and also, I believe, to the church in Ephesus and to us this morning. And he did to me. Uh, this was a beautiful thing that, uh, that suddenly kind of leapt off the page and, and grabbed my heart. And the first one is here in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 4. You have a handout, by the way. Uh, if, if you're our guest this morning, we have a, like this little fill-in. If you want to track along with me, you should have a pen as well. And the first one is this in uh, 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 4. Paul tells Timothy, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets tangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Your first fill in there is this. It's a battle, Timothy. It's a battle, but we have a captain. It's a battle, but we have a captain. This is a metaphor that Paul uses quite often, the uh, military metaphor, because it was one that the people in this culture would, would recognize immediately. That is, the Romans were in, firmly entrenched in the culture at this time. So any book that he would write, people, all the people in these small towns and bigger cities would have seen the Roman soldiers marching through the streets daily, sometimes hundreds and hundreds of the Roman soldiers. And there would be a captain yelling out the cadence to them, giving them directions and telling them where to go. And Paul says, listen, you know what? There is a battle. There is a battle, but you're not in this alone. And he tells uh, Timothy this, no one serving as a soldier, no one serving as a, as a good soldier of Christ gets tangled in civilian affairs outside of his focus, but rather tries to please his commanding officer, his captain, his captain. My dad now, at, uh, he's a little over 90 years old, and as he's gotten older and the more I ask him, he tells me his war stories. Uh, he island hopped the Pacific during World War II with the Navy, and we were at the... Carolina Roadhouse here a few weeks back, and I said, Dad, the first time that uh, you knew you were in a war, what was it like when the first time you went, oh, this is for real? And he said, well, you know, we were out on the ship, and we heard these two planes flying, and we didn't know whether they were friendly planes or, or they were enemy planes. We didn't know, and he said, pretty soon we saw them dive straight down toward the ocean, and we saw the red dot on the side of the plane and we knew that they were Japanese zeros and we saw all the torpedoes underneath their wings and we saw them drop down right he said it couldn't have been a couple of feet over the water and just coming straight at us he said they were so close to the water that we couldn't get our guns down to even fire at them them technology was a whole lot different back in the 40s than it is now and so he said all we could do was look at them calm and they were just headed straight for us and dad said my gun mount was just to the side of the command and control center where the captain was. Dad had a captain that they called Captain K and uh, there he is, Captain K with the mascot. Can I tell you the mascot's name? Damn it. <laughs> Dad said he, he had his station too that when the klaxon went off he ran low and hid in a corner. <laughs> That's where he went. <laughs> He went AWOL eventually. Uh, 
But as the planes dropped down, as the planes dropped down over the water, Dad said they knew they were going to drop the torpedoes, and sure enough, they dropped them, and he said he could just see them spiraling. And it was right toward Dad's station and his gun turret, and uh, Captain K was right to his right, and Captain K came out and was standing, standing on the bridge, and he called for full, you know, full steam ahead, give it everything you got. It was too late to zigzag. It was too late to try to get out of the way. He just said, port to it. Dad, Dad said he just grabbed the side of the rail, and they were coming straight to his, right to his station. And the, the boat, you know, the ship picked up speed, and he said, Captain K, he would look at the torpedoes, look back at Captain K, look at the torpedoes, look back. Captain K was just standing there, this look on his face. Torpedoes coming straight at Dad's position, came right to the boat, went right under the boat, went right out the other side. And I see what Dad didn't know that Captain K knew was that whenever the boat was at full steam, it drew a very shallow draft, and he knew the depth of those torpedoes. The captain knows things we don't know. You know, you can freak out a lot of times when you don't keep your eyes on the captain. But the captain knows what he's doing. Now, there was no promise that those torpedoes might not hit his boat, but you know what? If they had hit his ship, there would have been a plan to get everybody off of it. The captain would have had it, and they would have done it. Paul tells Timothy, listen, young preacher, young follower of Jesus, you keep your eyes on the captain because sometimes it's going to get very hectic in life, and you're not going to understand which way to go, what to do. Don't lose sight of the captain. Yeah, you need to glance at your problems. You need to take a look at them and make adjustments, but gaze on the captain. Don't gaze at the problem and glance at the captain. Glance at the problem and gaze on the captain because he knows a lot more than you do. Jesus said that he would never leave us, never forsake us. He is the captain of our souls. He is here for us to call upon all the time. I was reminded of this through my month off as I thought about how faithful he had been through all these years of following him and uh, the loss that our family has gone through at times and things. But you know, Jesus was always there. You didn't always see him standing up on the bridge, but he was on the boat. And he was giving orders. And he was directing that craft around. And what we had to do was, <laughs> imagine if dad just freaked out and started running around in the boat. We're going to die we're going to die, you know, and jumped off, <laughs> jumped off the boat, you know. Instead, he held on and he looked to his captain. Look to your captain. Your boat has a captain. The boat's not in mutiny. We have someone that knows what they're doing in our lives, what he's called us to. We have a captain. Secondly, in verse 5, Paul tells Timothy, similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Now he uses a metaphor, an athletic metaphor. He's just trying to, to grab Timothy's attention and make it clear. So we've got a military metaphor for him to look at. You've got a captain, Timothy. Don't freak out over all you've got to do in this church, okay? And your second fill-in is this. It's a race, but we're running for a crown, it's a race, but we're running for a crown. You see, we have a captain and we have a crown to run for. You guys uh, heard of this guy, Jason Scott Williams. You get a picture of him up there, Tracy. This guy ran the London Marathon, and the last time he ran it, he cut almost four hours off his race. Yeah, you know how? 
Cheaty. <laughs> Jumping barricades, hiding in the crowd, you know, waiting for the runners to come by and then going, taking off and all that crowd of witnesses that are lying down the street in London to cheer on the racers who have done the 26 miles, you know, have run that race. You know, he just, I am fresh, you know, because he's probably only ran maybe a mile. (laughs) Now, it wasn't just the young guys that did this. I found out there was another guy, Alan Morton, so the old dude, but I kind of have compassion for him. (laughs) You know, I mean, I do. It's like, okay, I shoot you a break there, Alan. I understand, you know. Stand in the crowd, kind of wait for everybody to go by, you know, take off. Paul tells Timothy, he says, look, this race that you run has got rules. This race that you run, you can't take a shortcut. You can't. You can't hang out in the crowd and then when it comes to the finish line, jump in the crowd and run across it. No, you know what? You're going to have to run the race with everybody else and you're going to have to sweat with everybody else. And you know what else? You're going to have to hit the wall just like everybody else and know what it's like for the grace of God to push you right on straight through that wall when you hit it. There is a race to be won. There's a race to run in and there is a crown to win. I like the idea of being able to live this life and at the end of this life know that we're running for something. I think that's okay. I think that's why Paul is telling Timothy, look, all of this I've got for you to do, calling these people out, correcting people, putting in leaders. Listen, when you do this and you do this well, when you live your life well, you do your marriage right the way God has called you to according to the rules, when you do your business right according to God's way and you do uh, your parenting the right way and if you're single and you're trying to be patient and develop good godly relationships, when you do that, there is a crown waiting for for you when you live the way that God has called you to live. Don't take shortcuts. Don't run around the barricades and go, I, don't, I can't make this 26 mile. Yes, you can. Yes, you can make it. There's so many that have gone before you that have made it, and you can run this race. There are no shortcuts to finishing well. None in this life. And that's why... Paul tells Timothy, he uses the word suffering. Don't you love that word? I just look for it in the scripture everywhere. I'm like, where's another suffering passage, Lord? You know, I just, thank you. Are you picking on me? You know, what, what's going But that's a part of it. That is a part of following Jesus. We are going to hit the wall. We're going to have muscle strains. We're going to be pulled. We're going to, we're going to have times when it's not going to be comfortable. You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to take a shortcut, leap a barrier, get away from the crowd. Don't do it. Stay in the group. Stay in the group and stay running. Stay straight ahead. Hebrews uh, 12, 1 through 3, and this is written by Paul too to another group of uh, believers, says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. You see, there's people who've gone before you, lining the streets when you're coming down it. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, there's the captain, the pioneer captain, the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was his race. 
scorning its shame, and it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That was the finish line for him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When you look at the captain, you pick the pace back up. You're like, this is tough. I don't know if I can hang in this race. Following Jesus is not always easy. Living this Christian life is not always easy. And when we look to Christ, I look to Him. And not only Him, there's a cloud of witnesses that have gone before me. Forrest, do you realize Paul is cheering you on? The, guys, the guy that wrote these books? He's up there going, go, man. Don't bail out. Don't take a shortcut. Go. St. Peter, he's there like, man, you can do this thing. Do it. The Apostle John, St. Augustine, just name all the saints, the people that you admire spiritually and know this, they are urging you on. And you know what else? Look around this room. You got some fans in this room. That's what the local church is supposed to be for one another. We're standing along, we're running with each other, you know, and you get that shin splint and you go, oh man, no, 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 come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's keep in there. Let's hang in there. That's what the local church does. There's a race to run and there's a crown at the end of it. Over in the last book in the Bible, in uh, Revelations, there's these guys called elders. And every time you see these guys, they're always falling down. I don't know if they have shin splints. I don't know what they have. But every time Jesus shows up, they fall on their face. Every time, they just can't stand up. I mean... Every time he shows up in the scripture, they're down and they go, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive all glory and honor and praise. Always, again and again. And it says they take their crowns off. They take their crowns off and they lay them before Jesus. Now I have a question. Where did those crowns come from? Where did they come from? How do you get a crown? Where do you get them? Now, this is a little Tim theology, I know, but I'm thinking about that, and I'm going, you know what? If they're going to pass out something to give back to him when I get there, I want it. I want it. I want something to lay before him. I want to be able to take it and go, here, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for what you did in my life. All the way back to 1971 up to the day that it was done for me, and I finished the race, and here is whatever I have. It is yours. I believe there's a crown to be won so that we have something to give to him. And that's not under compulsion. That's not like a heavy weight. This is the joy of running the race and completing it and giving him what he has given us. Running the, you know what else a crown is? We read this scripture. There's this crown that is like the people, the people that you have influence for Jesus Christ the people that you have reached out to in Jesus' name. That is your crown of glory as well. The people who were hurting and you were there for them. The people who were hungry and you were there for them. The people who never knew who Jesus was until you told them about him. That is a part of your crown as well. Imagine you finally get to that day and it comes across and God says, let me show you your crown. And walk. here come the people walking past you, the children in Vine Kids, the kids in the youth group, the people that you prayed with on, on your, at your business, the people you served when nobody saw you, when you took a meal to someone, 
when you took water to someone, you prayed for some sick person, you encouraged a lonely person along the way. Imagine that. You're standing there and here comes your crown. We have a race to run and we have a crown to receive, to give. And I think Paul is telling Timothy, be encouraged, Timothy. Be encouraged. You have people cheering you on and you have a crown to win. And lastly, in verse 6, 2 Timothy 6, he uses another metaphor. He's used military, he's used an athletic, and now he used a farming metaphor, an agrarian uh, analogy. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And that just makes sense to me, doesn't it? The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And your last fill-in is, it's a process but we harvest a crop. How many of you planted gardens this year? Yeah, some of you did. Uh, By the way, if you have butter beans, I will do extra prayer for you. (laughs) If you'll bring me a little bit. They're very rare these days, and uh, I have the anointing for butter bean bringers, you know, so (laughs) just bring it. You know, you didn't plant your your garden. You go out and plant your garden. And uh, Paul's telling Timothy, this is the Christian life, Timothy. It's a process. You don't go out and plant like that tomato plant, go out the next day and go, where's my freaking tomatoes, man? What in the world? What is wrong with you? Get up. Come on. Come on. You don't do that. You know, you plant the tomatoes. You water it. You tend it. You weed them. You care for them. And you know what you don't control? You don't control the seasons. If the rain doesn't come for a while, there's nothing you can do about it. You don't control it, but you can still care for it. You can still tend that garden, that plant of your life, that spiritual growth in your life. You can tend it, water it. Lord, help me now. I need your Holy Spirit. I need you, your water of your spirit to come upon my life and encourage me. It's a dry time, Lord. But what we do is we get mad at the seasons. And we want to change the seasons. But we don't control them. But we have a captain who knows all about getting through them. All about getting through those Gethsemane experiences when it doesn't seem there is anyone to be there for you. He knows about that. We have someone to look to. And this whole Christian life is a process. It's not just come to Jesus and whoop-de-doo, going back to your life. You know, I don't find that anywhere in the scripture. It's not fill out a card and whoop de freaking do. I'm off to life and things are great. No, it's like, hey, come to Jesus, respond to his call, and let's go. Let's go. The process begins now. Now we start the walk. Now we start the race. Now we start the battle. And we have a captain, and we have a crown, and we have a crop to harvest. It's a process, but we harvest a crop. This following Jesus is serious business. It's joyful business, but it is the life of someone who will stick it out. Hit the wall and keep pressing in, realizing that it is indeed a process. discipleship you know just like that tomato plant you don't suddenly sprout up and and you're a full grown tomato plant that's what the local church is about the local church is about us coming alongside one another and tending that garden weeding sometimes and 
so that it doesn't grow up so much around us that we don't know where the plant is and where the weed is. You ever seen that in your life? Like you get to a point where, I don't know if I'm a weed or a plant. <laughs> you know? It's like somebody needs to get into my life and do a little weeding and remind me that I'm the planting of the Lord, that God planted me, that he cares for me and that he's pouring his water on me and he cares and the church cares and we care for one another. Paul has given Timothy quite a field to plant. And he's saying, don't think that it's going to take one time or, or just a little bit of attention. It's going to be a process. Your family is going to be a process. Your marriage is going to be a process. Your parenting is going to be a process. You being a good student and a good friend of your single is going to be a process. It won't just get over. We will continue in it just like that race till that day that we cross the finish line. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, there's the season, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Read this last line with me especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Look around this room. That's the family of believers. That's the church. That's the call. We have a captain. We aren't alone. We glance at our challenges, but we gaze at our captain who knows the way through every situation. We are not just running a race to get tired. (laughs) We are running a race for a crown. And we are in the process of harvesting harvesting a wonderful crop. A captain, a crown, a crop. Who wouldn't want to be a part of this? We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.